So the thing that we really want our children to grasp is that their place in the community is not tied to their accomplishments. Those two things are completely separate. Their accomplishments don't make them any more or less worthy of being a part of the community that is the family. Mm -hmm. And with this approach, with that belief, they're more equipped to receive constructive feedback. I mean, think about it. The reason we feel sad sometimes or, or we have negative feelings associated with constructive feedback is because of a belief that our worth in whatever community is tied to our ability to accomplish or do something. Mm -hmm. There are jobs for, for which that's true. You know, your, your worth to a company can be tied to how well you perform. That exists. Mm -hmm. But really the, the community, the, the true community that we experience is with people who recognize that our worth is not tied to our accomplishments. Right. And the security that we feel in that extends to other areas of our lives. And so it's really important for us to help our children develop that kind of relationship with their accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I had a really fun morning. You want to know why? Why? There is a new show coming to the Sean West Network. And our, our listeners who are not in the Sean West community, and if that's you, what are you doing? Go to seanwest.com slash community and join. That's how this show is even possible. Mm -hmm. And all of the other amazing shows on the network. This morning, I got to listen to a live stream of a brand new show that's coming to the network called Behind the Brand mm -hmm. with my good friends, great friends, Corey Miller and Kyle Adams. So what'd you do with the kids during that time? Well, they went crazy and I just ignored them. They got out all <laughs> kinds of stuff. They, they got out the cars. They, they, there were cars everywhere. There were clothes. Uh, there was food. I think there was uh, some, you know, like chemicals, detergents and stuff like that all over the place. No. But I just didn't, I didn't want to miss it. That's not true. I'm just kidding. Yeah. They didn't get into the cars. So it was, uh, it was really fantastic. Very proud for those guys and, and excited uh, for their show. You should definitely go to seanwest.com slash behind the brand you can sign up to get a notification for when that show comes out. Um, if you're a person who is an entrepreneur or has your own brand or even works for a company and you're in charge of some aspect of their branding, even if, you know what, I would go as far as to say, if even, even if you're a person who doesn't consider themselves a brand, every one of us is branded in some way. And the insights that these guys share are just super valuable. So you should definitely check it out. Well, I'm sold. Yeah, you owe it to yourself. I know you're going to listen to it. Am I? You, you better. <laughs> I don't even listen to your Sean West show most of the time. Well, neither do I. 
Um, Corey Miller corrected me. It's behind, well, it's behindthebrand.com. That's where you want to go. That's going to take you where you can sign up for, uh, for the email newsletter. You can get notified when that show launches. It's good stuff. Don't launches October 10th. That's correct. It's the day before our anniversary. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're in the community, what's really fun is that their show live streams right before our show. So on, on Fridays, it's, uh, you, you get to listen to two live shows. And I got to tell you, the live experience is really fun. You, you not only get to hear what really goes on on the microphones, because our, uh, our podcast air, editor, Aaron, he cleans all of this stuff up. Mm-hmm. So you don't hear all of the mistakes that we make and stuff like that. But, but there's a lot of fun that goes on, too, that you miss. But not only do you get that, but you get some really fun interaction with the community members who are in the chat, who are also listening live, who are asking questions, making comments, putting up GIFs in the chat. There are GIFs all the time, the combos. There's, there's so much fun stuff. Uh, it's a really great place to be, seanwest.com slash community. Mm-hmm. All right. So today we're talking about preserving your child's sense of self-worth. And before we dive into it, I just want to say, I, I asked the question in the chat room earlier. I said, what are some things that people have said or done to you that has influenced your sense of self-worth, either positively or negatively? Mm-hmm. And got a variety of great answers, and I'm not going to go back and read through them, but the thing that really stood out to me is that a lot of people have similar experiences with self-worth, with their, with their past and, and the things that caused them to question their sense of self-worth and ways that they were encouraged. And what was really apparent to me is that regardless of what your experience is, you're not alone. In that, if you're a person who's listening to this, maybe you're a parent and you're listening for your kids, but you're thinking to yourself, you know, I had a negative experience growing up. There are a lot of people who share that. And, and, and so I just want to encourage you that you're not alone in feeling those things. And it's absolutely okay. Those feelings are valid and you can work through those things and you can overcome those things. And and I also believe that your, the work that you do in overcoming those wounds that you have mm-hmm. is a part of what also helps your child to develop a healthy sense of self-worth. Right. And I think, too, that it's valuable for us to remember some of those things because we can further protect our child, maybe, or, or even know how to approach those conversations with our kids. Well, and... and it, it's funny. We do one of two things with the way that we were raised. We either incorporate those things just by default, right. like they become the tools and the tactics that we use to raise our children, or they become things that we try to steer clear of completely. You know, mm-hmm. we, we go to the other side. And so one of the great benefits of working on your own wounds in this area is that you get to identify what some of those things are. And, and I would say not steer clear of them, not try to drive on the other side of the road. But being, being more self-aware of those things mm-hmm. really helps us to understand 
how our words and actions influence our child's sense of self-worth. Right. So I wanted to talk about what self-worth really is. And, and this is going to inform a lot of what we talk about when we get into the areas where our words and actions can influence our child's self-worth. But self-worth finds its roots in acceptability. For all of human history, we've been dependent upon community to survive. Community is the, the, the systems that are built in community are what make it possible for us to go to the grocery store, for example, to buy food. Mm -hmm. um, but before there were grocery stores, community and the commerce that, that arose out of community was what made it possible for us to get a hold of goods and, and services that we didn't have access to or couldn't provide for ourselves. Going even further back, there was protection in community. You know, a group of people was less prone to being eaten by wild animals than a single person. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really comes down to this primal survival instinct. Even somebody who considers themselves very independent in today's world is still very dependent on the systems that are set up by community. Mm -hmm. And so... Our, our sense of self-worth informs how valuable we are to the community that we're in. And the more valuable we are to the community that we're in, the safer we are because we know that our position in that community is secure. But when our sense of self-worth comes into question, when it's challenged, it also causes us to question whether or not we are acceptable in that community and, and the protection that comes with that the provision that comes with that. And when that's called into question, it really cuts deep. It, it cuts right to that primal need that we have to be in community. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where the root of it is. And it's funny because when we, when we talk about self-worth and self-esteem, those things, we, we don't often make that connection that, that it really is tied more to belonging mm -hmm. than it is to the things that we, that we do or say. Mm -hmm. So as we walk through these next several items, we're going to approach it from that standpoint. And we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of belonging to community. And that's going to shape the way that we use our words. Um, it's going to hopefully help us to get out of some habitual things that we, that we say or do. Um, I just wanted to throw something out there real quick. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've come to know too, and I think this will help us in maybe just having a little more grace on people who bully and people who lash out. Yeah. Is that a lot of times what that stems from is that they do not have a place to belong or they feel like they don't have a place to belong. Yeah. When when I write articles online and I get lashbacks from people um, typically it's through like a Facebook comment type thing. And sometimes like I'll, I'll just go and see what their profiles are like, you know, and a lot of times they're people who don't, you know, they don't have a lot of community around them or people, it, it just doesn't show that they have a lot of community around them. Yeah. And, you know, they're posting things that, that say, you know, uh, people are stupid and that kind of, and, you know, the reason that people fall into that is because they feel like they have no place to belong in a community. They feel different or they feel like an outcast or 
Um, and so, so part of what we're doing as parents is ensuring that our kids don't become those kinds of people, you know, being, being concerned with their self-worth and the ways that they grow up and the ways that we can help them develop a healthy sense of self-worth is, is also preparing them for a future where they'll either meet those kinds of people or they'll, you know, try not to become them. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's, I I feel like that's helped me a lot with the haters too. Yeah. And it's funny when you start, it's, it's difficult because sometimes people have some pretty negative things to say and you're like, well, where did that come from? I, I almost feel cut deeper when it seems like their argument could be valid, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but some of us have a really hard time getting any kind of negative comment or feedback on, on the things that we share and, and say, and it really is important to try to have that kind of relationship to that, that person realizing, you know, they, this isn't about me. It's more about them. It's mm-hmm. more about the void that they feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so getting into this, the first thing that I want to talk about is dreams. And I feel like in past generations, this has been more of an issue than it is today. I feel like parents of today tend to be a little bit more accepting and, and encouraging of dreams, but I, I still felt like this was an important one to go over. Mm -hmm. And this is, I I had this thought and I really liked it. Nothing world changing ever came out of a practical dream. You know, just, just thinking practically, Mm -hmm. I, the things that have been world changing, the things that have been truly meaningful and amazing and phenomenal started with something that was impossible and and probably, you know, had to work back from that, had to say, okay, so, so, you know, we're going to shoot for this impossible dream, but the journey to getting there is going to take us far beyond what we believe is even practical. Mm -hmm. And I love that mentality because it really ultimately isn't about whether or not the dream is possible. It's really about what the belief in that impossible dream empowers us to accomplish. And I know that's getting a little bit off of the self-worth, but I, I did want to bring that out first. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit here. Okay. Just because I don't know that we can say no great things ever came from a practical dream because when I was in college, I, you know, I dreamed of being a writer And that wasn't a very practical dream. And so I changed to journalism, which would actually pay bills because I could work for a newspaper. Yeah. And the world of journalism can have amazing effects on the world. And I remember doing, spending months on a series about women in addiction. And, you know, that it was something that raised awareness about these women who were caught in addiction and who they were and who the, who people had made them out to be in their stereotypes. Yeah. And I feel like that was a really, really good thing. And, and I might not have done something like that if I had just followed the big dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, so, so I agree with that, but I feel like you can't throw out either one. You can't throw out the practical, but you also can't throw out the dream. And so, I find it's where the two are able to coexist. Mm -hmm. 
So you didn't let go of your dream of writing. Mm -hmm. There were some practical things that you had to do to work toward it. And out of those practical things still came some really amazing things. But I would argue that your dream was a motivator, was a driving force behind those practical things. Yeah, I suppose. I but really I, just wanted to make money. But I see, I do, yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe one of your words. <laughs> I, see what, I see what you're saying too, though, because I also don't want to say that even when we're not purposeful about it, amazing things don't happen. Yeah. Because you know? they do. Yeah, I, I'm, we're not doing a show about dreams. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. So, so bottom line, encourage dreaming. Mm-hmm. No dream is too big or impractical. And what we what we tend to do as parents is because of our experiences, because of the failures we've gone through, and and the the hurts that we've experienced because of failed dreams or whatever. We want to protect our children from those experiences. We mm-hmm. don't want them to go through those same things. And so we tend to try to protect them by, by saying, oh, okay. You know, and, and especially when they're little, we might have this, oh, you're so cute for dreaming so big. And, and while it is cute, at the same time, I, I think there's a balance that we need to have there between seeing that as just something that's cute and childish and, and really taking it seriously as a tool that our children have in their lives for helping them accomplish things that are bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when we allow our fear, when we project our fears on our children, it really thwarts that whole process. And so, so we should be encouraging of that deal with our own fear. Don't, don't put that on our children and let them dream big. The world is going to put them through the ringer one way or the other, whether you, and that's not to say that you don't help them to have a practical relationship with their dreams, but there's a difference between coming alongside and and being there for them and guiding them through that process versus shooting it down from the beginning Mm -hmm. because you're afraid of where that road might take them. What if your kid can't carry a tune? <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to get gonna into get that. To that. Okay. Yeah. We're totally going to get into that. Yeah. Cause that's, it, it, there's it's the Mar- American idol syndrome. Oh my gosh. That whole thing doesn't have to happen. Yeah. If, if we're developing the right kind of anyways. Okay. So the next, the next item I'm going to talk about is feelings. And we've talked about this quite a bit. So I'm just going to be brief here, but. Um, all feelings are valid. Mm-hmm. And it's like we've said before, the object may seem like something inconsequential because of all of the experience and context that we have as adults. That red toy car that they saw in the store that they fell in love with and just have to have, we know, like, we know, oh, that car is not important. That's a silly thing. But the feelings they feel about that car and and they're not being able to have it might be as intense as our feelings about losing our home. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They don't even have the cognitive ability to um, imagine something like losing a home. Yeah. So losing a car to them, just this little tiny toy car 
is it, it has the same effect on them. Yeah. And, and so when we validate our child's feelings, we are telling them that their, their feelings are acceptable and that acceptability extends to them as a person mm-hmm. because their feelings are so intertwined with who they are. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember being told by multiple important people in my life because I was always a weepy person because I just I have big emotions. Everything makes me I mean, I'll cry in a movie. I'll cry when I see one of my sons do something amazing, you know, like just all the time. Even in movies, you turn and look at me to see if is this uh-huh. a point that's going to make her cry. Um, Sometimes I'm I'm the one. Yeah. But I was told by multiple people that I shouldn't cry, that it wasn't going to accomplish anything, that, you know, this this was something I needed to tuck away and try not to feel. Yeah. And and that's not helpful. That's not helpful for a sense of self-worth because what if we are the person who feels things intensely all the time? That's who we are. And if we're being told that we shouldn't feel those things, then we're being told we shouldn't be who we are. Yeah, exactly. And the, okay, okay, so here's here's a place where it's been difficult for us. We've been working on it is when we're all at the dinner table. It's all the noise level is already oh yeah just below too much. Yeah, <laughs> and then something happens to somebody and they get really upset and they and and they scry. It's like a scream cry. <laughs> and so in that situation, the words that we use to manage that are really important. Mm-hmm. And, and so what, what I'll say is it's okay to, I'll, I'll ask them first because I want them to be self-aware of mm-hmm. their emotions. Mm-hmm. I'll ask them, how do you, it looks like I, I might say something it, like, it looks like you feel sad or it sounds, sounds like you feel really sad mm-hmm. and, and try to get that acknowledgement. And then once we've identified the emotion that they're experiencing, say, it's okay to feel sad, but it's not okay to, to cry that loudly at the table. Mm-hmm. If you need to cry that loudly, you can go in that room over there where you're not so close to everybody else. And that's okay. Yeah. If you need a little time, you can take a little time. Yeah. But it's, it's extremely hard though, because dinner is at the end of our day, sort of, I mean, it, before bath time and all of that, but you know, we're already almost done. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, it's hard to maintain, especially for me as an introvert, I get to that point and I'm just like, one more noise is going to send me over the edge. And yeah. Sometimes, then there's sometimes this, we need to take them. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You guys stay here at the table and be as loud as you want. We're going to go in the car and drive somewhere for, <laughs> no, I'm just no. All right. So this is, this is what, uh, when, when you were talking about what if your child can't carry a tune? And I have these as two separate things. We're talking about accomplishments or maybe successes and failures. And, and so we'll talk about accomplishments and successes first. I really like to use this language proud for mm-hmm. instead of proud of. When our child does something remarkable at, at whatever level, and we say we're proud of, what we are inadvertently communicating is that our pride in them is attached to what they did, what they did. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. We're, we're proud of our children regardless no of, yeah, regardless of what they do. 
And so what we're saying is we feel proud for, and, and that's a really subtle difference, but, but that's saying that that feeling of pride belongs to us and it's something that's not attached to who they are and, and what they're worth. So I'm proud for you. I feel, I feel proud for you. Do you feel proud for you? Yeah, you should because, you know, and just, just having that subtle difference can disconnect your feelings of pride from their sense of self-worth, which is really important. Yeah. And I just wanted to say right here that this is something we learned a few years ago and it was from, um, I mean, there are multiple people who, uh, multiple experts who talk about the importance of this wording, but there's a book that's actually called Parent Talk. And I can't remember, the author is like Chick something, Chick Moran or something like that. Um, But it has a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted in the way that we say them, especially in praise and encouragement and helps you just make this small little shift that um, helps you better encourage your children. So I would, it's, it's a really easy read. Like it's not very long and it just basically, I mean, it's called parent or yeah, parent talk. And it just, you know, helps you rearrange your wording. And we implemented it all like three years ago and just, yeah. And it takes, it takes some time to get used to. You have to build a habit. Mm -hmm. But now I hear my, I hear these words just coming out a certain way because we've been practicing Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. So um, if you, if, we're going to put that in the show notes, a link to that book, so you can check it out. It's going to be at intheboatwithben.com slash 20. Another thing that we can do is, um, this is something that we need to take care in how, uh, let me, let me just create a practical scenario here. So our son Asa makes a picture, mm-hmm. he draws a picture and he makes it really colorful and, and and then he brings it to you or he brings it to me and he says, daddy, what do you think of my picture? And I, I like that he cares about what I think of his picture, mm-hmm. but I want for what he, I want what he thinks about that picture to be more important to him than what I think about that picture. And that goes across every other thing. And so it's okay to share what you think but you should really put the emphasis on asking them what they think. And instead of communicating what you think, it's even better if you can simply make observations about what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we try to do, and, and Asa was very dependent. Our, our second son was very dependent on what other people thought. And so we were working really hard to try to get him independent of that so that he would believe that he was good enough on his own and he didn't require someone else to say, yes, this is beautiful in order for him to believe that himself. And so we worked really hard with him, especially with, he loves to color. So he's always, he's always got some kind of drawing or some kind of coloring sheet that he's done. And one of the ways that we uh, turned it around was just observing like, oh, well you, you mostly stayed in all the lines. Um, or something like, oh, you colored the sky blue and it's a really neat color of blue, you know, or something, yeah. just something that you observe about this paper instead of, instead of making it be about, this is a beautiful picture or it's not a great picture or it's, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Now, 
this getting into this next part of the accomplishments is really important because there are times when as a parent, it's going to be useful. Our, our children are going to want some real constructive feedback about what they're doing because they're trying to grow in a skill mm-hmm. and they're trying to become better. And they recognize that we maybe have some expertise in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hopefully going to be seeking that out from others in their life as they grow and develop, you know, into adulthood. So the thing that we really want our children to grasp is that their place in the community is not tied to their accomplishments. Those two things are completely separate. Their accomplishments don't make them any more or less worthy of being a part of the community that is the family. Mm -hmm. And with, with this approach, with that belief, they're more equipped to receive constructive feedback. I mean, think about it. The reason we feel sad sometimes or, or we have negative feelings associated with constructive feedback is because of a belief that our worth in whatever community is tied to our ability to accomplish or do something. Mm-hmm. And now there are jobs for, for which that's true. You know, your, your worth to a company can be tied to how well you perform. That exists. Mm-hmm. But really the, the community, the, the true community that we experience is with people who recognize that our worth is not tied to our accomplishments. Right. And the security that we feel in that extends to other areas of our lives. And so it's really important for us to help our children develop that kind of relationship with their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Okay. And someone asked in the chat, but don't they need an acknowledgement too? So do you want to take that? Um, I'd like to, I'd like to get, what do you, what do you think that question is driving at? Uh, just uh, acknowledgement for how well they do at something. Yeah. So, so, well, and feedback of any kind, constructive or affirmative feedback. Yeah. <laughs> affirming co- yeah. Uh, affirming, feedback. Yeah is really just information. It's, it's not tied to self-worth. And so you have a lot more freedom to share something constructive or affirming when it's not tied to their sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Because then, it's, it, then all it is is useful information. Right. I, know, I now know what I can do with this thing because I've, I've either been affirmed that I'm... And, and so if somebody can't carry a tune the constructive feedback you may you may be a vocal coach and you know all of the things there are to know about how to use the voice properly and so constructive feedback could go into depth and you could recognize the areas where they need to practice and improve mm-hmm. or it may be out of your league and you may say you know what i only know enough to tell you that there are some things that you need to work on and if you really are serious about walking with your child through those things, that's a dream that they have, something they want to do, then point them to resources that will help them to develop those skills. It's okay to be objective and, you know, and still be tactful in the way that you deliver it, but you don't have to tread as lightly when their sense of self-worth is not attached to those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would use the example too. Our eight-year-old is very, uh, he loves to write books. He loves to do comics is basically, um, his mode of choice. And 
he writes these little short, it's almost like scenes, but he calls them comic books. And every now and then he'll bring them to me because he knows that I write for a living. Yeah. And he'll bring them to me and ask me, you know, or he won't even ask anything. He'll just say, Hey, read this, you know, because he's, he's interested in hearing what I have to say about it. And so I encourage that creativity in him, but I also every now and then try to sneak in a little bit of, uh, instruction, you know, because I yeah. know characterization, I know dialogue, I know plot, I know conflict and all of those things. And I know how a story structure should be. And sometimes, you know, an eight-year-old isn't as familiar with that kind of thing as someone who's been doing it for a long time. And so every now and then I'll try to sneak in a little bit of, you know, hey, you could work on this character a little bit. How about we pursue a, you know, a scene with just that person and then we can work on some character characterization there. And sometimes he'll listen, sometimes he doesn't. But at the same time, he knows that I'm invested in what he's doing. Yeah. Because I'm actually giving him feedback. Yeah. And, and it's just in the same way that a community works. We are there for each other as, as resources, as, in, you know, as an encouragement to, and to help guide through the process of growing in these skills and abilities. Mm-hmm. Walter asked a great question in the chat that I want to bring in. He said, Knowing that they have what it takes is a ground question, right? They can't learn their worth uh, from their own. What what I feel like he's getting at is something that we've really been trying to focus on lately with our boys, which is reminding them that they can do hard things, mm-hmm. that they do have what it takes. And, and this is, I believe, a foundational idea. You have what it takes. And this is the way that I like to think about it. It is mind-blowing. It is absolutely amazing to me that our seven-month-old, almost eight-month-old, can get on his hands and knees and rock back and forth when just a few months ago, he couldn't, he, like, he could, his hands were his enemies. Like, he was constantly hitting himself in the face. (laughs) It, it's phenomenal. Can you imagine how hard it is to go from not being able to walk, not not having any muscle coordination whatsoever, how brave you have to be to start taking those steps. Mm-hmm. And, and And from the beginning, all we know is that there's something that we can't do. We see other people doing it and we're brave enough. We're courageous enough. We, we, we believe in the impossible enough to take a chance and do those things. That's who our kids are mm-hmm. from, from the beginning. And so let that foundational belief be something that you hold really tightly to and communicate to them regularly because mm-hmm. they are capable of doing hard things. Mm-hmm. They're capable of doing things that seem impossible to them right now. Sorry, I just had to go off on that a little bit. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that we also try to do is, um, I guess going back to the whole belonging in a community thing is that we, you know, we try to communicate to our kids that they don't belong in our community because of what they can do for us or what kind of talents they have. They belong in our community simply because of who they are. And so one of the things that I always try to do when our boys go off to school is the last words I say to them are remember who you are because this is the most important thing to me for them is to just remember who they are. It doesn't matter if they come home with a yellow sad face on their behavior chart. It doesn't matter if 
they get a 70 on a test or anything like that. It matters to me that they simply remember who they are. Yeah. There's a huge element of that in the next item we're talking about, which is failures. Failures are really scary for some people. They, they've had a very negative emotional experience with failure. And, and maybe they had people in their lives who were so focused on an outcome that they wanted that they projected their sense of that person's self-worth onto them based on their failure, you know, and, and that's, that can be a really damaging thing. What we, what we want to help our children understand is that failure is not something to be feared. It's a part of life. One of the, one of the phrases that I've heard recently that I really like is that failure is a comma, not a period. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not the end. And it can feel like the end. Again, going back to the feelings, we can validate that, but we can help our children walk through that and overcome it and not feel afraid of it because they're capable of working through failure. In the end, success, accomplishments, failure, all of that is information. Those are experiences that we go through that we can learn things from. When we come out on the other side of it, we can look back and we can say, okay, this worked or mm -hmm. this didn't work or this worked pretty well, but I could have tweaked it and I could have done it this way. And when we have that kind of relationship with success and failure, when we see it more as information, again, our, our self-worth is not tied to those things, but we just, we, we see it as that this is great information for moving forward. It's something that I can take with me on the next leg of my journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think some of the times that I've learned the most are the times that I've failed at something. And it's so scary as parents to watch our kids go through that because we just want to fix everything, you yeah. know, like our kid has a broken heart and we just want to fix it. You know, that stupid girl or mm. there's, <laughs> there's a question from a community member that we're going to get to later. Oh, okay. Oh gosh. Totally out of our league. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see. Um, but there, there come times when we just, we have to let our kids learn from that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. last year, our son never wanted to check his homework. And so when we would check it, we would see that there were things that were wrong and would say, you know what, you might want to look over this again. We didn't tell them, him which ones were, were wrong, but he chose not to. And so as a result, he, you know, his homework grade wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, and that, you know, he didn't get in trouble for that or anything like that, but he did get to learn from that experience because. And, and because that doesn't inform who he is. It's just information. It's a, it's a number on a piece of paper. It's not his identity. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's really up to him if he's, if he's okay with that number and it, it gosh, we're going to have to have an episode yeah, about know. school and academics and stuff like that. But, it's so hard. but the path to what you're purposed to do in life is different for everybody. And some go through the path of getting really good grades and scholarships and college and all of that. Some people go through the path of performing very poorly in school, understanding that that's not where they belong and thrive. And because, because they understand that are able to focus on their strengths and, and do, and, and find a different path to their purpose. And, and so what I would love for Jaden is to see that number and to decide for himself, 
if that number is higher, that's a useful tool for me. And so I want to make that number higher or to say that number is inconsequential because I'm not going that that number is not going to lead me to the thing that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so hard as a parent, especially having grown up with that being such an important thing. Oh, it was super important. I mean, we got money for good grades, you know, like I made A's so I could make a few bucks. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's very hard. And we just actually had this conversation yesterday because I had told our son to get his homework three times off of the counter. And he's very much this creative kid who just lives in his own mind. And after three times, he just left it here. And I was like, what are we going to do with him? (laughs) I don't even know what to do because he's going to get this awful homework grade. And yeah, (laughs) there's not really much we can do. But, But do you remember what I told you? Mm-hmm. I said, well, maybe he's never like, like me, he's never really going to get that administrative thing down. Maybe he should be hiring Asa, his brother to take Who care of that stuff. For extremely him. good at remembering things and yeah, <laughs> packing up and getting things together. I mean, how, so he doesn't quite get an allowance right now. We're, we're working back up to that in our yeah. budget, but, mm-hmm. but once he has an allowance, how valuable is it for him to realize, you know, these are not my strengths. And if, but if those things have to happen in order for me to be successful at what I want to do, Mm -hmm. I either need to develop the skills to make sure they happen, or I need to make the money somehow to pay somebody else to do it Mm -hmm. or, you know, find some other, but, but it it really, so we, we came up with our own idea of what a solution would look like, but it'd be good to bring that problem to him and say, you know what, if, if this is a problem for you, how do you expect to solve it? They can solve problems too. Kids can. They're yeah. really they're really good at solving problems. Yeah, they are. If you don't believe me, come hang out with our twins who are three years old. <laughs> oh my goodness. In a, in a locked room that they figure out how to get out of. <laughs> yeah. Oh my lord. All right. So so moving on, the next item is comparisons. We talked about this in the last. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We talked about this in episode 18, avoiding sibling, uh, sibling conflict. And, and really we talked a lot about comparison, but, but we want to, we want to avoid comparison definitely between siblings. We want to avoid making comparisons between our child and some other child. Another thing that we have a tendency to do that we're not as aware of though, is the way that we talk about in, in our children's hearing about other people's circumstances or even about our own circumstances in comparison to some ideal. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that we protect our child's sense of self-worth is demonstrating for them, uh, not only protecting them from the comparison and, and helping them understand that their worth, their worth isn't defined by how good or bad they are compared to somebody else, that, that really they are valuable inherently by themselves as a part of this community, but also that we recognize for ourselves and demonstrate that our self-worth isn't tied to how good we are or bad we are compared to somebody else. I mean, it can go both ways. We can talk about how bad we have it. You know, Mm -hmm. we can, we can make comparisons and, and say, I mean, on our back porch, I could throw a rock and hit 
the roof of a house that is five times bigger than the one that we live in. And five times more expensive. Ten times more expensive. Ten times, yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous out here. It's, but, but they're literally in our, not literally, they're in our backyard. There I am using that word. They're right there in that backyard. We could, we could talk about, oh, I wish we had a house like that. And, and on the other side, you know, we could say things like, oh, I'm glad we're not like them. I'm glad we're not like that person who is in such a hurry to get to work that they speed through our neighborhood. And those are, those are really small things that sometimes creep into our lives. And so we want to be careful about how we talk about those things and even um, how we feel about those things. Cause what we, what we feel and, and what we think internally often comes out. Mm-hmm. So going back to the school thing, uh, talking about other people, uh, you were, you were mentioning something about, you know, when, when somebody breaks up with somebody else, uh, when somebody breaks up with your child and, and they are hurt by somebody, what we want our children to remember is, is like you said, remember who you are. And part of that is remembering that you belong to a community. Mm-hmm. You belong to this family and your position in this family doesn't, isn't influenced by anything that you do. You are, you are secure here. You are safe. Mm-hmm. When, when we get hurt is when we try to find our self-worth in a community in which we don't belong. And so one of the things that we can do to really help our child when they are hurt by somebody, whether it's a bully at school or a teacher who doesn't understand them or a girl or a boy who treated them poorly, we tell them that person was not your community. This is, this is your community. And it's not to tie them to home indefinitely and say, this is the only place you'll ever find community. But unless they understand what community really is, they won't know what to, how to look for it in life when they leave home. Mm-hmm. So we want, we want them to know what healthy community looks like and how people who are in community really treat each other. And if we give them a really good picture of that, they'll know what to look for later on in life. Mm-hmm. That's not man, I would love to protect our children from ever experience, having a negative experience yeah. with others. I don't, I don't want them to go through heartbreak. I don't want them to be misunderstood. I don't want them to be bullied. I remember um, our eight-year-old has been bullied by a few people. And I remember when he would come home and he would just have such an awful attitude And it was immediately apparent to me that something had happened. And so I opened the conversation and was just asking him, you know, what went on at the playground and asked him about some of the friends that he has and those kinds of things. And and it just came out that somebody had called him an ugly name and uh, he was just devastated about this name that somebody had called him. And I don't even remember what it was. It was something that kids say now that. I don't even know what it, whatever kids are saying these days. And I remember asking him, well, are you this? And he said, no, but they think, you know, and, and I had to go through the whole process with him about, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what these people who are not a part of 
you know, your, your community of people who love you, it doesn't matter what they think about you. It matters who you know yourself to be. Yeah. And you know yourself to not be whatever they called you. And so I think part of, part of what we try to do as parents is just take, take them back to the root of knowing exactly who they are when they, you know, when, when they're hurt by a friend or hurt by a girl or those kinds of things. And also I think that there is also value in showing them that the people who hurt them are, are not bad people. Most of the time they don't do those kinds of things on purpose. Sometimes they do, but they don't, they don't do those. If, if they were secure if everybody was perfectly secure in who they were and understood their sense of self-worth and felt like they belonged to community, there would be no need to put somebody else down or to hurt it. That hurting somebody else comes out of hurt. Mm-hmm. And oh, so, yeah. so it is, while it is done intentionally, I, I think maybe if we're talking about on purpose, it's, it's more having to do with just out of pure hatred and right, evil. And, right. and that's, you know, people are, people are not evil. People are wounded and misguided and, and sometimes in very dark places, mm-hmm. but, but that's not their identity. Yeah. And, and what I was trying to get to also is that I remember going up to the school and seeing this little boy who had said these things to my son and it was so very hard to be kind to him. Um, but I, but I had to remember, I know a little bit of his background and I have to remember where he's coming from in some of these things. And, you know, when we're, when we are wounded children, we do lash out at different people. Um, I had it as a kid when people would lash out at me, I did it as a kid. So I, I know what can cause that kind of thing. And so I think, I think just opening our kids eyes to these kinds of things, because our boys you know, they have a mostly normal background because yeah. they have two parents who love each other, which is more than a lot of kids have nowadays, you know, and a lot of the kids they're coming into contact with who um, may try to affect their self-esteem are coming from a much different background than that. And I remember what it's like to come from a background like that, you know, and it's it's hard. It's hard to feel like you have community when you hardly feel like you have community at home because mm-hmm. one of your parents is gone or one of them did something that is just awful. And, th- and, and you got to remember, you know, back to the beginning of this episode when we were talking about that primal need that we have for feeling like we're in community because that's where protection is. That's where, that's where we get the food that we need to eat and the, and the affection that we need. It's, it's all there. And so when we feel like we don't have that, you talk about backing a wild animal into a corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that's going on in, in, in people's hearts in those circumstances to, you know, to whatever degree. Mm-hmm. So the, the bottom line is that we are inherently valuable. And I, I don't, again, want to do this to the detriment of experiences that they'll have later on in life will, where their ability to keep a job does depend on how well they perform their duties. And, but that's, but that's not about their self-worth. 
that's about what they're worth to that company. But that's not about what they're worth to community. Mm-hmm. Any value that they bring through the things that they do or say is really added value to something that's already inherently valuable. Mm-hmm. And I want to finish with this thought. I was talking to my old youth pastor uh, on the phone the other day. He's uh, He and I are talking about some business stuff, but we were catching up and talking about kids. And he said something that I really loved. Uh, he said that one of our jobs as parents is to help our children to be smart enough to realize that they need counseling when they're adults so mm-hmm. that they can, so that they can get counseling for the wounds that we caused. And, and he said that kind of tongue in cheek, but, but what's really true is that you're not going to do this perfectly as a parent. You're not going to do this perfectly. You're not going to be able to always preserve their sense of self-worth. You're going to make mistakes. You're going, you, your children are not going to leave home without some kind of wound that they need healed. It's just a part of being human, you know, Mm -hmm. and we don't want that to happen, but it's unavoidable and it's also okay. It doesn't make you a bad parent. And if you spend so, so much of your time focusing on and trying to avoid that and be a perfect parent, you're going to disappoint yourself a lot and that's going to cause some other major problems. And so don't focus on being a perfect parent, but embrace the fact that, you know, there, there are going to be wounds and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think also as adults, the wound, I mean, there have been a lot of people who blame a lot of things on their parents, but I personally, I mean, I, I came out of childhood with a lot of wounds. I came out with a very low sense of self-worth. And I think that as adults, working through that stuff is extremely valuable. I mean, the the place that I've come from when I was in my 20s until, you know, now in our early 30s, I I feel like it's just been like a complete turnaround. Yeah. And it, it is work, you know, because you have to dig some of that stuff up and i'm i'm not prescribing anything here there there are a lot of different methods that you can use to work through those things one of the ones that i've experienced was something called freedom prayer it was uh, through a ministry in one of our churches and essentially what we did was we sat down and we had this time of meditation and we were asking for some imagery and some revelation those those places in our minds that become pretty buried deep and and seem impossible to access sometimes through this process we we end up finding our way to those memories to those moments when we can relive them and we re-experience the emotions and that's a part of working through it and it just is amazing to me mm-hmm. the power of the mind as a tool in your own healing mm-hmm. the the way that the, those those things that you don't think about from from day to day, those memories that you thought were so buried deep, suddenly surfacing and and you experiencing those things again and being able to see them in a new light and being able to point to, yeah, this is how I felt when that happened, and I can I can see why now I have this tendency to do this thing, 
it's extremely powerful. So I highly encourage you to find a way to have that kind of experience to work through those things. Because as you do, you're also going to be more equipped to help your children have a healthier sense of self-worth. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw out there that writing does a really great job of it too. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like I said, there are a lot of different ways writing. I know for you, uh, as you're going through your memoir, Mm -hmm. it's causing you to retell the story and it's it's amazing how when when you're retelling the story of your childhood, you come across details that you thought you'd forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the the most valuable things we can do for ourselves is to retell our story as a narrative that is positive, even if we came from a narrative that was not positive. Yeah, and so there's there's much value in doing that. So I want to get into a couple of questions here. This first one is from Sarah. Did you know uh, Sarah in the community? She's a professional question asker. Yeah, really? Yes. She, How do you become a professional question asker? She asks all of the best questions. Oh, okay. So this is, it's not something she gets paid for. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, but she should. Yeah. Because she's so good at it. Okay. Anyways, she asked, what is the right amount of words of affirmation you should tell your children. When does it become too much and inflate their self-esteem in a bad way? And how do we use them wisely to let them know they're loved, but also keep them humble? And Corey Miller had a question that was similar. I'll go ahead and bring this in. He asked, where do you draw the line between encouragement and reality? I struggle a lot with feeling like parents over-encourage and distort reality so kids think, they are actually the greatest person on the planet. But I also understand that kids need to be encouraged to do and be better at what they do. As a parent, how do I build up my child's esteem without boosting their ego too much? And I, I again, bring this back to this idea that our accomplishments, our successes, whether we're good at something or, or not good at something, is not t- it's not tied to our sense of self-worth. It's not tied to our belonging in the community. And the more we can separate that, the more freedom we have to be objective with our children, still encouraging, still there for them, still willing to walk with them through their development. You know, if they, if they have a goal that they're trying to reach, but we have a lot of room to, to, and when you get objective feedback and you can receive it without it affecting your sense of self-worth, it is, it can be humbling in a good way. You know, because it helps you to be more realistic about your place on the spectrum of how good or or bad you are at something, how much you need to improve. And so that's, that's my answer to that. How would you, how would you answer that question? Uh, I think it also has to do a little bit with the kind of praise that we're doing as parents. Um, Corey mentioned he has a hard time with a lot of kids seeming like they're overpraised. And I think it's because we're praising the wrong way. We're, you know, like we're, we're trying to encourage them and we, we have, we have good reasons for doing that, but we're just using the wrong words. Yeah. You're, you you did so good. Yeah. Even if it wasn't good, instead of just, you know, giving an observation of, and I guess the example, the example I was thinking about when you were talking was uh, the kid who can't really sing. And I was thinking, how, how would you 
How would you not be able to lie in that? You could so, you could be like, well, you hit that one note really well. <laughs> you, you hit that one note in the second bar. No, so so I don't know. This this is where we have to get a little bit creative as parents, right? And and we have to be more aware of what's going on. We have to pay attention more. You know, we can't just be playing on our phones when they're singing the recital. And, and so they're missing all the notes. It's cringeworthy, right? But as we watch them, we see that they're they just look very expressive and very confident and and they're they have a really good presence mm-hmm. and so so that's a good observation right yeah yeah you, they have a good just, stage presence yeah, maybe they don't just, have the voice but you just seemed so confident and you you know you stood really tall i could tell that you felt comfortable mm-hmm. hopefully there's never a situation where there's absolutely nothing, no observation that you can make that satisfies that question. But again, I also want to point back to making their thoughts about their accomplishments more important to them than others' thoughts. Not in not in a way that's harmful. You know, we what's going to protect their ability to receive constructive criticism when it's necessary? is their self-worth not being attached to yeah. their accomplishments. And I think also uh, it, sometimes it's hard to see, but I think that kids also know inherently what they're good at and what they're not good at. And the the thing that clouds that up a little bit or muddies it up is when we are encouraging in the wrong way. Yeah. And so because as a kid, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. But then I got to school and I was really, really good at school and I was good at math and I was good at science. And, you know, then I wanted to be a marine biologist and all, you know, like this weird stuff because I was praised all the time for my grades and the things that I could do. And and so I think that our kids have this ability to know what they're really good at if we can just take a step back and stop trying to, you know encourage them with everything. There's also the thing about the the path to getting there. Cause I, I, I think you and I are, you, I mean, you're probably smarter than I am. Comparisons is, <laughs> you know, we don't have to. But, yeah. We don't have to compare, but I consider myself to be a, a fairly smart person. I always have. And when I was growing up, what I was told was because I didn't do, I, I didn't do very well with my grades. I did. Okay. And what I was told is, Ben, you're so smart. You're so talented. You're so creative. If you would just apply yourself and focus, you could really do well. And, and what I walked away from that with was, okay, I agree. I'm smart. I'm talented. I'm, you know, what I'm also hearing is I'm not a focused person. And because I'm not a focused person, I can't accomplish those things. Mm -hmm. But just because I'm not a focused person, just because you're not a focused person, just because your child is not a focused person, they seem like they're, they're so creative. They seem like their head is not attached to their body and they're just floating in dream world all the time. Those people still do amazing things when, when they can recognize their weaknesses and, and accept them and understand that that's a part of who they are and find other ways to make up for those things so that they can accomplish their goals instead of feeling like, oh, it's got to all come from me. It's got to all come from here. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah. 
All right. So the last question is from Robert. And this is the, this is the hardest question I've ever had. I think it says, how do you help your kids deal with self-esteem when they're going through a breakup? Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) No, no, I, I promised him I would take a stab at it. Our oldest is nine right now. So we're probably a few years away from that experience. But I, this goes back to understanding where your true community is. And also I did want to say this when your child is hurt by somebody who's not a part of their community, we, we do need to acknowledge their feelings that we don't want to dismiss their feelings and say, well, they, you know, they don't understand who you are. So you shouldn't, you know, like, don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. We, we never want to be dismissive of feelings because the pain that they feel is, is real. You know, they, they believed for some period of time that that person was a part of their community. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sting from that. What we do is we acknowledge their feelings. We help them process through those things and we remind them of who they are. We remind them of their worth. And once they're able to work through their feelings, the, the reality, the, the truth of who they are, that foundation that you build into their lives is going to be the thing that's, that continues to support them. They can continue to stand on mm-hmm. after that experience. I would also add that I remember as a teenager, I don't know that I've really told a whole lot of people, but I was engaged when I was like 16 and was totally in love with this guy I thought I was going to marry. And it ended pretty badly. And I remember at that time, I mean, I was heartbroken because obviously I was planning to marry this guy. And um, I just remember my mom didn't really say much. She didn't really even know that we were engaged. It was like the secret, but she really did because a mom always knows. Um, but I, I just remember her being there. And when I would, you know, fall apart on my bed and just it was like the world was ending, you know, because as a teenager, when it's your first love and um, it, it really is like the world is ending. I, I still remember the feeling of that. Like, yeah. I cannot wake up from my bed tomorrow. And I just remember her being there and just like stroking my hair and not even telling me stories or telling me this, you know, this too shall pass or whatever cliche somebody wants to say. Um, I just remember her being there. And I think that part of uh, part of our self-worth also comes from knowing that we are worth enough for someone to take time out of their schedule to be there. And she was a busy mom. She worked several jobs because my dad had left and um, just knowing that she was there was, you know, that, that helped me get through a thing as traumatic as a breakup. Yeah. My heart breaks so much for people who have gone through the experience of growing up in a home, developing that sense of, of community and having, having their self-worth attached to these people who for for one reason or another at some point in their lives reject them mm-hmm. and and it's it can be difficult as a parent i can think of I, I i can't really think of anything that would cause me to reject my child mm-hmm. and 
The most important thing is whether I agree with their decisions or not. However, I feel about the choices that they make, um, whether I feel afraid for them or feel excited for them or want something for them that they don't want for themselves or whatever it is, it's okay for me to disagree. And it's okay for me to, to say that I, once they've, once they've really established who they are and are, and are confident in that. But what's more important than anything is that I am there. Mm-hmm. That that community, that sense of community doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, four years later when you came along, my mom didn't really say, I told you so. All you had to do was wait for the right one. You know. Did she really say that? No, I said she didn't say oh, she, that. Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. She's very gracious about, yeah. hey, this is the guy you're going to marry. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah. I, t- I still don't know how it happened, but <laughs> here we are. Here we are. So, all right. And speaking of community, I'm, I know I talked about this a lot at the beginning of the episode, but if you feel like you long for that kind of experience, that place where you belong and you're seen as valuable and capable and, and able to do things that are seemingly impossible, we are a part of an online community that is filled with people who think that way, who believe that about one another. So it helps out this show. It makes all of the shows on the Sean West Network possible. The community supports us. We don't have sponsors or anything like that. But what I want for you more than anything is to feel that sense of belonging, to, to be rooted and planted in a community so that you have that experience, so that you can pass that along to your kids. And I, I can think of few better places than the Sean West community for you to have that experience. So go to seanwest.com slash community. Check it out. All right. Oh, where can people go to find us online, Rachel? InTheBoatWithBen.com. That's right. Go to InTheBoatWithBen.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there. We send out show notes every week when a, a new show publishes. Um, we're also going to be, as, as In the Boat with Ben develops and grows and we start doing new things, we're going to let people know first there about what's going on. And so I highly encourage you to check that out. If you want to find Rachel, she is at racheltolson.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Tolson. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Tolson. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Sarah asked another question in the chat. She said, what did you want to do when you were a child and gave up because adults thought it was impractical? Mm.
Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought we could answer that question, you and I. Yeah. You want me to go first? Yeah. Well, I, I always wanted to be a novelist. So, but then, you know, I got to college and got to majoring in English and people were like, what are you going to do for money? And so I switched to journalism and spent 10 years in journalism as a reporter and am now finding my way back to uh, novels and creative writing. All right. So. I was, I can't remember as a kid uh, what it was. There was um, acting I was interested in. And I can't remember if I just liked it because of the, I mean, I was, I was a pretty dramatic kid, you know, like very expressive and, and just, I, I enjoyed theatrics. Um, I really liked, I think it was back to the future was something that was inspirational for me to, to be interested in acting. Um, and I, I didn't really, I wasn't ever discouraged. Um, I don't remember hearing that my dream wasn't, uh, wasn't practical. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got older, it, I shifted to music and I mean, I, I, I still remember being, you know, 18 or 19 and going to a concert at a big amphitheater and saying, and looking, cause I, I went with my bandmates one time and looking at them and saying, guys, next year, that's going to be us on stage. We were watching train or something like that, like some, <laughs> some really huge, but, yeah. uh, I was, I was probably on the side of it where I had a tendency to be too impractical for my own good. Mm-hmm. Cause we are going to, this is, I'm excited about this because I think it's going to be a really good follow up on next week's episode. We're going to talk about how much quote unquote grown up world should I share with my children? That came from a question that we got about showing our kids the hustle, you know, like letting our kids see the hard work that goes into doing the things that we love. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel like that's extremely valuable. Oh yeah. But anyways, back to one thing I remember, I, I still remember I was, I was living in Colorado with my mom at the time I was in middle school and it was a tiny, tiny town. We like, we took a bus 45 minutes from my house to the middle school. And that that's how like sparse rural that area mm-hmm. was. And, and so I'm in math class with Mr. Odette. That's right. Mr. Odette, I'm calling you out. <laughs> Poor Mr. Odette. <laughs> he was the, he was the math and the science teacher. And there was a kid who just always gave him a hard time, especially when we started talking about the planets we got to Uranus. <laughs> he kept on calling it mis- he he kept on calling it Uranus. Oh. Ur- Uranus. And uh wow. because I think he didn't want to pronounce it Uranus. Yeah. Anyways. Cuz he knew that everybody would start laughing. Yeah, which he couldn't avoid. Mm-hmm. It, it's middle school, you know. Yeah. So anyways, we we're in math class and I remember he, we, I, I don't know how it came up. Somebody was talking about football and, and wanting to be in the NFL. And he, he said this to our entire class. He said, 
well, the chances of any one of you getting into the NFL is really slim. Mm -hmm. Because he's, and I don't, what a soul crushing thing to say for somebody who I didn't, I don't care about being in the NFL, but I'm sure that somebody in that class really enjoyed football. And, and he, I guess he was just thinking because it's so rural, because these schools don't typically feed into well-known colleges that NFL, you, you know, like, so that, I, I think that was where he was coming from, but, but what a terrible thing to tell children. Yeah. Anyways. Some people just, you know, they err on the side of practicality. So I also, uh, I shared this in the chat, but I also at one point wanted to be the first female president of the United States. Hey, why not? Hey, why not? But I realized it wasn't an adult who told me that was impractical. It was myself who was like, this is crazy. Nope. You are not interested. I also uh, at one point wanted to be a, um, what was it? A criminal psychologist because I was really interested. I had seen the movie Silence of the Lambs and I was like, I want to be the person who, you know. Eats the brains? No. The person who helps the people who want to eat the brain. Wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, which probably would have been fascinating, you know, especially as I find my way into novel writing again. I could have used a lot of that. You know? Hello, Clarice. <laughs> oh, man.